It's the negativity at work that burns you out. I mean, I used to have a boss that would never give me positive reinforcement. And one day at, at review time, you know, we had our little review. And then she said, do you have any questions for me? I said, you know, you never give me any positive reinforcement. Whenever you call me in, it's some, it's a problem or a new project. She said, well, you're so strong-willed and you're so self-assured, you don't need positive re reinforcement. I said, I'm a human being with human feelings. We all need positive reinforcement. Welcome to the Seven Hats Podcast. My name is Yuval Selleck, and I've been on the entrepreneurial roller coaster for over 20 years. I've experienced it all throughout my journey, the grind, burnout, failure, and ultimately, success. The turning point for me was realizing that building a successful company is meaningless if you neglect the other significant areas of your life. So today, I'm inviting you to join me on an adventure through those seven areas, what I call the seven hats. Every week, my guests and I will drop valuable insights and pearls of wisdom, helping, motivating, and inspiring you to get your seven hats in order and deliver real impact with meaning. So let's get going. Welcome, Seven Hatters. In this episode, we speak with Janice Litvin and dive deep into hats one, three, and four, the soul, the servant, and the entrepreneur, as we take a deep breath, reduce our stress levels, and banish burnout for good. Stress and burnout have reached an all-time high. And I know of no one better to speak with on that topic than Janice. As an award-winning speaker and certified virtual presenter, she wants to help as many people as possible take care of the physical and mental health. She is one of the world's preeminent experts on the subject, and I'm so excited to speak with her today. So if you're ready to move from stress to success, then let's welcome Janice to The Seven Hats. Janice, welcome to The Seven Hats. Yuval, thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Yes. Well, I'm so excited to have you on the show today. You and I spoke previously, and I just have to say, you're an incredible and genuine person who just loves helping. So I know we will have an amazing conversation, and the topic is going to be a stressful one. And what I mean by that is that we will be discussing stress and burnout and emotional intelligence, you know, topics that every entrepreneur needs to become aware of. It's really a life or death situation, I think, and not just for the body and mind, but potentially for the business if you're an entrepreneur. But before we get to all those golden nuggets, I'd like to hear your backstory and the journey that you took to become a world expert on the subject. So to start, let's find out, Janice, where were you born and how was your childhood? I was born down in Houston, Texas, <laughs> with two parents from the East Coast. So being Jewish in Texas, some people think that's such an odd dichotomy, but there were a number of us. But we also stood out in terms of our generic neighborhoods. So I grew up in a very loving, very, very loving, happy home, like many Jewish children. And on top of that, you know, my father came home for dinner at the exact same time every night. He never dreamed of going anywhere but home for dinner. Every Sunday after Sunday school, he picked us up and took us for some fun. But we had to go to Sunday school, no matter how, whether we wanted to or not. 
And uh, we knew that we were loved, for sure. There was a lot of happiness and boisterous fun at the dinner table every night. On the other hand, we were expected to work very, very hard in school. And the expectation was you were going to make all A's and get into a good college. And so that's a lot of pressure for a child, a lot of pressure. That is a lot of pressure. Absolutely. So what did your parents do? My father was a meatpacker, interestingly, Mm -hmm. and my mother uh, volunteered for the synagogue in my early life and produced a lot of events. And in fact, that was the genesis of my public speaking. She put me on the stage at age 10. You're going to laugh at this and made me memorize a poem called My Mishpacha. (laughs) Mishpacha, for those who are not Jewish, means family. And I'm trying to find this poem. If you can, if anyone can find it, I'm looking for it. <laughs> we'll 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 put it in at the end. I'll I'll put it in the show notes. All right. So you are growing up, really nice upbringing. You feel loved. Obviously, make your parents proud and go to college. I'm assuming, correct? All right. Yeah. And in fact, I went. I I took it to the next step. My mother said to me, "You are going to get a technical degree." And I happen to like math, thankfully. But she said, you're going to get a technical degree. You're going to become a computer programmer because a woman in tech will never have trouble finding a job. And at that time, she was a recruiter in the oil and gas industry, competing with a very much male-dominated world, the oil and gas and the recruiting and anything in business in Houston in the late 60s. But I thought she knew what she was talking about. And I had a very strong desire to leave home and be able to support myself. So I did what she, I thought it was a good plan, even though I wasn't that in love with computers, I was interested. But anyway, I did what she said. I got a degree in math and became a computer programmer right out of college. What a proud mom. You know, if you're not a, if you're not a doctor or a lawyer or a programmer or a banker, Jewish moms just don't get it. So what did you really want to do? If you didn't really want to be a banker, what did you really want to do? I really never let go of my dream of becoming a professional dancer. So yes, they were proud until one day I called them up and said, guess what? I'm leaving San Francisco. I'm moving to LA with all my dance friends and I'm going to become a professional dancer. And they were crazed. They were so crazed. My brother, they sent my older brother to call me and have a big lecture about how long is this going to go on? And what do you think you're doing? And what, what about that math degree? And I said, this is the time of my life where I have to make a decision. Am I going to follow the footsteps of people who've been in banking for 20 plus years and look depressed and sad and miserable? Or am I going to grab control of my own life? And so what happened when you did that? I was happy. I moved to LA and I lived off savings. I did all kinds of odd jobs. I This is funny. I worked at Bob's Big Boy on Wilshire near La Brea, for, for those of you who know LA. And, well, that was a very crazy time. And sometimes I took typing jobs. I worked, I met Johnny Carson. I worked in his office for a while. So I had a lot of fun. I met some stars because I worked for some lawyers for a while. It was a very fun, exciting time. And then I got my first gig dancing in Reno at a casino. Wow. Not topless. That was my one rule. (laughs) (laughs) Not topless. You would have killed your mom right there. Heart attack if you were a topless dancer. So my father called me up after I told them the news and he said, you owe it to me to live a normal life. 
a nice Jewish girl doesn't work in a casino. <laughs> wow, I love it. Okay, so you obviously didn't become a full-time professional dancer for too long because you've changed again and you did what after dancing? I came back to tech. Mm-hmm. I worked at a wonderful company in a wonderful job called Computer Sciences Corporation doing software support. And what I found I found a lot of things there, really the genesis of my life today. I found the world's best boss. I talk about him all the time. I'm still in touch with him. It was the genesis of speaking because, well, number one, I got away from my desk. I was out in the field most of the time and loved being up and out. I love talking to people. I mean, it was about software, so that part wasn't so exciting to me, but yet I could help people. I was a problem solver. And one day my boss came to me and said, I think you should be the trainer for our sales branch. And I said, I think you're right. It just was like, it was like putting on a pair of gloves. It was such a perfect fit. I didn't really think about it till a few months ago. And that was the beginning of my life as a professional speaker. What's the catapult that got you into professional speaking and helping others, especially with the topic of burnout and stress? What happened in your life that made you realize that that's your passion? So I was at a bar mitzvah party with my mother. One of my father's uh, nephews had a bar mitzvah. We're sitting, you know, we're dancing, eating, drinking, having a good time. Oh, and sadly, my father had passed away. So I was there with my mother and my husband chose not to come or was working. So my mother was my date and we're having fun. We're dancing, we're singing. And then we'd sit down and have some water. And suddenly we see two of the cousins talking across the room. For some reason, she started to get in her gear, in her negativity gear, and she said, I wonder what they're talking about with their heads all huddled together, like as if she wasn't invited to the party. But that one moment in time broke open a whole new world for me because I realized after having moved away and gotten perspective on my life, I realized that that's what I grew up with, that that role modeling that negativity, that criticalness, and that feeling left out and rejected was my whole world, my whole upbringing. Years later, I realized that she did the best she could as a mother. At that moment in time, I was angry and I and critical of her for being critical of them. They didn't do anything to her. And I realized in that moment that I had an opportunity here now. I had an awakening and an awareness, and I had a choice to make. And I said, it's time for a change. And so I started working on myself and researching myself. And that all led in a circuitous way, the beginning of my love of stress and burnout. Got it. So at that time when you were working on yourself, were you happy with yourself or were you disenchanted with who you were as a person and wanting wanting to figure out why you were like that and what you can do to change? A little of both. I mean, in general, when people met me, I was outgoing and upbeat and happy. So I wasn't an unhappy person, but there were things that still bothered me, especially that core issue of why do I set myself up to feel rejected, to feel left out? Let's say you're at a party or a business gathering and two people are talking and you begin to feel like, well, I wish I I wish they were talking to me. That kind of imposter syndrome thing that a lot of people experience After that awakening with my mother, I realized that those two people have nothing to do. It's not about me. They're talking and it's about them. And if I want to talk to them, go up and talk to them. 
So setting myself up for that feeling of not being included was a big one. And there was another big one that somebody asked me about earlier. I did my Banished Burnout program for a group, a young group of university students yesterday. And I realized my mother was a snob about colleges. Though she sent me to University of Texas, when my older brother did not get into Harvard, she moped around for a week. I mean, he went to Penn. It's wow. not like he went to a bad school. He went to a wonderful school, but she was so depressed that he didn't get into Harvard. And as a recruiter, she would say things like, well, I like this candidate because of his school. This one went to Stanford. This one went to Princeton. And passive aggressively, she was telling me I wasn't smart. I had a math degree and I didn't feel smart. And I didn't feel like I was good enough I didn't make all A's and I didn't go to a great college in her mind. And so I never felt good enough to talk to people who did go to those colleges and did get those advanced degrees until I did this work on myself. Wow. So interesting. So now you know where you're going. So maybe you can substantiate this for me. I'm doing research in regards to speaking with you today. I find out that more than half of U.S. workers said that they're feeling burnt out as a result of their job demands and a whopping... I think it was 4.3 million Americans quit their jobs in December, right? This December in 20, for those who are listening later, this is 2021. And that has come to be known as the great resignation, right? When people think of burnout, you know, you think of entrepreneurs who are working 100 plus hour weeks, but we don't usually think of our employees as burning out. So I'd like to start here with a few questions that address this very sad statistic. And I know you want to talk about employees versus the entrepreneur. So before we even get there, I think we got to go and get the, the basics out of the way. What is burnout? Burnout is, first of all, people do use the word burnout very loosely. Oh, I'm so burned out. Oh, I'm so burned out. Really what they're saying is I'm stressed. If you're truly burned out, you're emotionally and physically and mentally kaput for a period of time. I don't mean you're dead. But I mean, you have to take a complete break. You have to, quote unquote, go to bed for a month or three. You're so emotionally drained. And, and I've heard this described by people where they're so burned out that they're limp. They're limp emotionally and they're limp physically. They don't have the energy to get out of bed. And they're so like, oh, I have to go to the kitchen so I can eat breakfast. I mean, they're just so unmotivated and they can barely take themselves outside to sit in the sun. They just that that's burnout. That's mm -hmm. true burnout. The World Health Organization declared burnout to be an illness defined by chronic workplace stress that has not been successfully managed. That's kind of a workplace definition that helps us. I don't call that true clinical burnout if I were a psychologist. But I would say that's a good stab at it because you mentioned that a lot of people are leaving their jobs. To me, burnout has two, I call it a two-way street. First of all, there's taking care of ourselves. And then there's the company environment and how they treat their employees. So if you work for a tech company in the San Francisco Bay Area, chances are you have a fitness center and you have free three-star Michelin food. You have a quiet room and a music room and you have parties on Fridays with free food. Okay, that's wonderful. But if you have an unwritten rule that you don't leave your desk for lunch or if you have a very critical manager who's always nagging you because, oh, you sent that email to the VP, you should have asked me for permission 
or non-verbally, your opinion doesn't count. They either ignore you or just contradict all your opinions or not give you promotions or not support you or not give you any freedom and control over your work. All of that leads to burnout. And no matter what the employee does for themselves, their self-care, whether it's changing their reactions to stress or meditation, having constant negativity at work is going to help you burn out. And that's, I think that's the statement of the American workforce in December, which is we have had enough and we are not going to take it anymore. You have got to learn how to treat us. Is it, it's the chicken and egg thing. Is it if you're burnt out, you become negative and you perceive negativity at work? Or is it because of negativity at work that you burn out? The latter. You're, it's the negativity at work that burns you out. I mean, I used to have a boss that would never give me positive reinforcement. And one day at, at review time, you know, we had our little review. And then she said, do you have any questions for me? I said, you know, you never give me any positive reinforcement. Whenever you call me in, it's, some, it's a problem or a new project. She said, well, you're so strong-willed and you're so self-assured. You don't need positive re reinforcement. I said, I'm a human being with human feelings. We all need positive reinforcement. Yeah, and I think, and I think those entrepreneurs who lead companies, of course, who are listening uh, and have employees, the culture that you set at work is really important. And it's not just you. You might be all wonderful to your employees, but there are managers that are probably working for you who you don't know how they act upon with their direct reports and employees. So in, in essence, you've got to be very careful about that culture that you set from the top down and monitor that. So are there any warning signs of burnout uh, that you know of that, that those that are listening can really focus on? There are, there are many warning signs. There are warning signs for ourselves and there are warning signs of, that the manager can point out. I'll start with the manager's uh, observance. If you see an employee who's not themselves you can just feel that something's off and it goes, not just one day, because we all have a bad day, but if it goes on for a week or two or three, do not sweep it under the carpet. The stigma about mental health, we in the industry are all working very hard to bring it out in the open and give it the sunlight that it's due. It's okay to take someone aside and say, hey, Joe, you don't seem yourself. What's going on? If you want to tell me, is everything okay? Is everyone at home okay? Does someone have COVID? Do you need time off? What's going on? Do you need a break or what can I do to support you? We have a lot of resources at our company. We have EAP, we have benefits. We can give you time off. We can be more flexible with your schedule and maybe cut your hours back if you have a sick child, whatever it is. If you want to tell me, fine. If not, uh, you can use human resources. So it's being aware of your people and not hiding from what you might perceive as a problem that you don't know how to deal with. If you don't know how to deal with a problem, call your HR business partner. That's their job. Don't ever be afraid to call on HR. And that's for everybody in a company. Now for yourself, and I've had people ask me this in workshops, well, I try to manage my stress, but I can't tell if I'm burning out. There are a lot of signs. Are you snapping at people? Do you have angry outbursts? Do you have trouble sleeping? That's the number one indicator that you have problems. 
Do you have trouble with your food? Do you go home at night and eat a gallon of ice cream, drink a whole bottle of wine and get into bed and binge on Netflix or spend too much money on Amazon and then pull the covers over your head? Do you stay in bed all weekend? I mean, there are a lot of little indicators. Wow, that's really important. And you know, uh, going back to what you were saying about the managers, it brings up a whole other topic, which I'm, I'm going to have a podcast on, I'm sure. And that is the executives or founders of companies hiring the right managers, but promoting those who are great at their job, and now you're putting them in a management position when they're not great managers. They might be great at their job, but they're terrible managers, and they'll affect all of the workers that they, that they manage really difficult uh, to see in the, in, at the onset, but usually founders and executives are so busy, they just, like you, like you said, sweep it under the rug, rug, and then they wonder why people are quitting or they have an unhappy workforce, right? Absolutely. Most people, I don't have a stat on this, but I've talked to a lot of experts about this. Most people get promoted for technical skills. And so there are ways to uncover what people feel about people like asking them. I met a young woman who worked for one of the associations I spoke for last year. And she she had just been there a few months and we were chatting. And she said, I asked a CEO of a small company what he felt about emotional intelligence. And his answer was, well, I'm the CEO. What I say goes. <laughs> this is not the army. This is not the army. And she said, thank you very much. I'm going to end the interview. I don't want to waste your time or mine. Um, I can see this is not going to be a culture fit. Wow. So asking deep behavioral interview questions and spending time with people, you would not get married uh, after the first date. You might have uh, sparks going off and you think this could be the one, but you're not, theoretically, you're not going to get married tomorrow after your first date last night. You're going to get to know the person. And the same is true of hiring really spending time with the person and hopefully knowing the people that referred the person or, or getting some referrals. I'm a bad example. I, I proposed eight weeks into the relationship and uh, 18 years later, here we are. So very happy together. I was one of the lucky ones. I mean, but it wasn't one day. No, it, was, it wasn't. It was eight times seven, 56 yeah, days. <laughs> I'm not that crazy. My parents would have had a heart attack, but it's okay. I got, I got Jewish parents too, so... Yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's go back to COVID for a second because you did mention COVID, and I'm really interested in in this specific topic because it's so unique in our lifetime. So, how did COVID contribute with so many people working from home? Because you have to compartmentalize your work and your family life, and how difficult was that for people? So, what do you think about that scenario when it comes to stress and burnout? It was a huge, huge, well, it's it's interesting because over the last, say, 20 or so years, more people have been wanting more flex time and flexibility with work and the option to work from home at least some of the time. And many companies were very rigid. No, you have to be in the office nine to five. And if you're not there by nine, you better have a reason or mm -hmm. nine, ten. Yeah. And uh, I worked in you know, several companies that had that attitude. Suddenly, we all have to work from home. Number one, the CEOs learned that work can be done from home. Yes. But for parents of small children, either under the age of five or school-aged children, without a nanny, because we weren't supposed to be mixing, although I think some people did, we weren't supposed to be mixing with people from different families. 
suddenly the parents were the full-time caregiver and full-time worker. Yep. Which meant sometimes you saw a three-year-old running into a Zoom meeting and only the smartest managers would say, oh, let us meet Susie. Yes. Rather than saying she's interrupting the meeting because we had no control over our workplaces. And a lot of women who traditionally are the caregiver of the children, though men, of course, have learned to step up, but a lot of women would stop their work in the middle of the day because of needing to help the children with homework or whatever, especially the early days where nobody let their children go anywhere. They better barely let them go outside to the playground, which was bad for in every way, if you can imagine. But um, so they would stop, help their children during the day. And then from 7 p.m. to midnight, go back to their desk. And they got especially stressed because physically they were just overworking. Promash, the company that I'm, you know, that I that I founded with my co-founder Chris, we made it a point to be very much kid and animal friendly. We yeah. have cats walking across, you know, the table, dogs barking, you know, and we just that helped so much during the pandemic, I think. But more importantly, I know how it is working at a bank for so many years to be bound by the office and trying to tell them. I'm in Los Angeles and it takes me an hour and a half to get to work or an hour to get to work. It doesn't make any freaking sense. None. I'm just, I could be way more efficient. Now I didn't have kids and I get the whole point, but the reality is, yes, you can work from home, but I agree with you. I think it was too much. I think it was, it was no space for the worker or the family member to escape the family, to escape the day to day. And that must have contributed to to so much stress. So I, I agree with you. And on top of that, one day we were having some work done on our house and I went to my good friend's house because um, only one of her kids who was older, like uh, 15, was home. And I worked in the family room and I went to see what was going on with the teenager. She didn't come out of her room for hours. And I went in there. The curtains were drawn. She's sitting on her bed doing, you know, in all these Zoom meetings and she never saw the light of day. I said, Ella, go outside take your computer and go sit outside. You need some fresh air. You need some light. You have to get out of this cave. Yeah. Is, do you think that burnout can shift towards depression, like true depression? Is that something that you've seen? Clinical, well, dep- again, depression is a very loose word. Clinical depression is, you know, I'm not a trained psychologist, but I have talked to many, over the years, many, many, many people. I took a lot of psychology classes True clinical depression is the kind of depression where you have a biochemical irregularity in your brain and you do take certain drugs. And one person described it to me as waking up in the morning and having a dark gray cloud over their environment and wishing it would go away, but it wouldn't. Mm -hmm. That's clinical depression. I think you meant the other kind of depression, which is more let's call it superficial, because you can get depressed at a, in a way that you can get yourself out of it through exercise, healthy eating, volunteering, you know, helping others, and just getting out of your own head, journaling, meditation, prayer, mm-hmm. whatever. But yes, yes. So, you're, so let's, let's make that distinction then. So you don't really see burnout leading to clinical depression, but you do see burnout leading to more of a psychological kind of 
I'm really just tired of everything and I need to spend time for myself, with myself to get out of it. And I don't need the drugs. Right. They might need to go to the beach for a week. Yeah. And read a good book. Just get away from a certain situation. Yeah. So let me do this. I want to dig a little deeper into stress because you said that one of the causes of burnout is stress. And we know that our bodies were not designed for the kinds of stressors that we face today. Uh, Back in the cave days, our bodies were designed to quickly stress and quickly unstress, right? So if a a saber-toothed tiger was chasing us, then our body would, would stress. And then when a tiger was not chasing us anymore, we didn't stress any longer. But, right. but these days, if our cheeseburger comes out with no cheese or somebody said something mean to us on social media, our fight-flight response is activated. And these days, man, it's like 24-7, right? Probably when you're sleeping as well, it's activated. So you wrote the book aptly named Banish Burnout Toolkit. Yes. So from the expert's mouth that probably never stresses any longer. What can you tell us about the stresses that we deal with today and how they affect our bodies and minds? Because how can we deal with them so that we at least have a fighting chance of avoiding burnout by getting that fight-flight response down a little bit? So what are the tools? Well, first of all, you're right. Our body is not designed to be on high, high alert all the time. We're going to break down. That's why we need sleep. And we need seven to eight hours of sleep. The people that tell you they can live on four hours of sleep, I mean, I guess there is the rare occurrence, but from all the research I've read, seven to eight hours of sleep is desirable because when you don't get enough sleep, your body hasn't had time to repair. Your mind hasn't had time to really relax and let go. If you're not dreaming, then your body's not resting and your brain is not resting. That's a good point, yeah. Right. So, uh, so you really, you really need to rest in terms of the tools. What this book is designed to do is help people realize that their reactions are not pre-programmed. Like if you ever hear somebody say, well, that's just the way I am. That tells me that person's not as aware as one would hope or that they could be. When you open yourself up to the possibility that you can change your mental life through looking at your neural pathways, meaning your behavior patterns, like I described earlier with my mother setting herself up for rejection all the time and me looking at, looking at that as a light bulb going off saying, wow, I think there's another way to live. I don't think, you know, when you grow up in a home like that, you don't know anything different. When you go out and meet other people and find out some people love their families and want to be with them 24 seven and could go on vacations with them. I'm like, you, you, are you sure? You know, because I didn't have that kind of upbringing as much as I loved my parents very, very much. And I was close to them and learned many important lessons. I couldn't imagine going on vacation with them because there was always criticalness filtered into every conversation. And so it's being aware of the fact that We're a product of our upbringing, not just our parents, but our teachers, the way we were treated on the school ground, and even prior jobs. And so it's getting out what I call the virtual pickaxe and digging in to see what it is your patterns of behavior are. This is a really mundane example, but it it proves the point. You're in a long line somewhere, the coffee shop, Target, wherever you go, grocery store, for those of you who still go shopping. 
And you're just getting angrier and angrier and angrier. You're looking at your watch, you're huffing and puffing, you're checking your phone and you're like, wow, we've only moved one person in 10 minutes. And then you and then you start to have all this negativity. Why is this taking so long? These people are so stupid. I need to go. Don't they realize how important I am? Or what? whatever, whatever little ramblings go on in your brain. And you get up to the counter and you're angry and you're mean to that person. And you, really what's important is you're, you're hurting yourself. Whereas if you go up to the person and start with compassion and say, how's your day going? I bet this is really stressful for you having all these people in line getting angry at you. And, they, and they're thrilled to death that someone cares about them. That was a big change for me. To, to put other myself in other people's shoes. And it took my adult son, who's in his 20s, to teach me that I needed to chill out. So that's one, that's one tiny example of let, working yourself up into a lather and letting anger build when it's not important. It's not important. If you apply the 10-10-10 rule, will this thing matter in 10 days, 10 weeks, or 10 months? No. Yeah, mostly no. Mostly no. And choose, choose not to be angry. It's your yeah. choice to be angry or to calm yourself. So in your, and I think I've, I've heard you say this, but in your example, when you get to the, to the register, you would smile at the person and you would right. greet them in, in, in a way that would switch your brain from that negative state to a positive state, right? So you yes. become aware. And I think the problem is a lot of people are just not aware of what they do and how they feel. So that's a whole other topic that we can discuss in terms of self-awareness, which I think is lacking in a majority number of the mm -hmm. population. So uh, let's take a little bit. I want to hear a few more tool tips, but I think this question is going to focus a little more on the entrepreneur. So so many entrepreneurs are programmed to grind at all costs. I mean, I've been there. For us, it's the business first. I'll do everything for the business, and then I'll take care of everything else in my life. You know, and right. it, it happened to me, which is why you and I are speaking on the seven hats. <laughs> you know, I was burnt out. I, you know, everything you say about the experience and the feelings, I was there back in 2010, 2011. And I was facing the loss of everything in my life because of the burnout. The burnout yeah. created a person that self-sabotaged pretty much everything, including my marriage almost. So wow. how does an entrepreneur change course to start taking care of themselves and their seven hats, the other aspects of their life, despite thinking that the business will fail if they don't work those long hours? It's funny you should ask that today because I just discovered a new time management trick that's not new at all. So I think as I've been an entrepreneur since 1983, and you're right, it's always grind, grind, grind until things start to flow smoothly. And there's that fine line between, I, oh, I have to get this done. I have to get that done. I don't want to hire a VA. It's easier if I do it myself. Are they going to mess up my system? What about my computer? You know, I can't let it go. And then you're just like, it's like, clenching your teeth all the time. It's same thing about not getting sleep. It's being on that high alert kind of mode. And really for me personally, what it boils down to, and this sounds so silly, but it's a lot of it is about time management hmm. and learning how to prioritize your daily activities. I mean, I have a to-do list a mile long. There's big projects and then there's all the activities. I've learned all the old 
regimen, you know, break it down into smaller chunks, uh, delegate, lay out your calendar, calendar by the hour, schedule blocks, don't have so many Zoom meetings. There's all these things you can do, but I never was feeling in control. And this week I learned something called the time management matrix. As a matter of fact, I just blogged about this. It's just on my website uh, today on my JaniceLitvin.com slash blog website. There's a, a short, short article about this matrix. And I found out it was designed by President Dwight Eisenhower. Yep. For those who are old enough to remember. The four, four, four matrix. Yep, yep, yep. The four matrix. So what is Im- urgent and important? And I made up this hashtag for my to-do list. UI, urgent and important. Yep. What has to get done and what's critical. Usually it's a revenue generating and something a client needs, you know, a client yeah. that yeah. you adore and want to serve. That's where your hair's on fire. Well, or it's going to be if you don't. Or it's going to be, yes. <laughs> or if you don't get the UI done. Yes. Then the, the other one I for my list, it's mostly urgent and important or non-urgent and important. important yep. Something that has to get done, but does it have to get done today? What are your deadlines for tomorrow? And then what are your revenue generating activities? And then from there, some people say throw the rest away. I don't say throw the rest away, but from there, everything else will fall into place. And if and if every little tiny thing on today's list doesn't get done, it's okay. You do the best you can and you make the next list for tomorrow and not have a hundred things on the list for today. Have five things on the list for today. Yep. The third the third quadrant is uh, not urgent, but important. And the fourth quadrant is not urgent and not important. This right. was made famous by Stephen Covey. Uh, oh, yes. A yes. long time ago, I've been, I've been thinking about it. I've been studying time management for 20 years and really trying to perfect it. And I have a seven hats uh, time management technique that I just uh, came up with and will be teaching one of these days. But I used to work 10 hours, 12 hours a day, and it was basically focused on work. And I was working, you know, seven days a week. So we're talking about 80 to 100 plus hours a week. Now I work 16 hours a day, every day, 16 hours. My schedule reflects 16 hours because eight hours I try to sleep. So between 16 and 17 hours is when I, how much I work. But my work is my seven hats. My work is not my business. My work is my seven hats, which means that every day I have non-negotiables, which is hat number one, self-love. Hat number two, which is exercise and nutrition and sleep. And then the other hats, I at least mandate three to four hats per week while the business gets the portion that's required. And the thing is, it's a juggling act. So sometimes your marriage is more important than your business and you spend more time during the week and your day with your marriage. Sometimes the business is more important, so you spend a little less time. But there's non-negotiables, which is self-love every day, where I meditate, I tap, I journal, I do things, and work out, get some fresh air, get some sunlight, Things that I've I haven't done in the past because I focused on work. So that is my seven hats technique. I will be hopefully, you know, solidifying it in the future, but it does incorporate the Stephen Covey technique of those of those quadrants. I'm glad you you clarified it. And another thing, and one more thing about uh, that fills in with all of that. 
Most people scratch something off their list and they keep working. They barely, if they don't have an Apple watch, they don't know they haven't gotten up for two hours, you know? Yep. (laughs) Um, The brain loves a completion. Yes. So when you have completed one of those lion level tasks, stop and acknowledge, hey, good job. You finished that budget, that 50 page budget that was so hard and needed to get done. Congratulations. Spend time with the family. What did everybody finish today? What was a big win for anybody at the table? Give everybody the chance to acknowledge for themselves, whether they're children or other older level, older kids, teach them the habits that you're talking about. I'm sure you do, but a lot of us don't say, okay, let's go around the table. What was everybody's win today? What's the best thing that happened? Who had a completion? I'm so glad you said that because part of and this is recent for me, because I've never been able to do this well enough. And I just think it's the whole self-sabotager, but, uh, and not feeling, it's that imposter syndrome too. But celebrating your wins at the end mm-hmm. of the week, which means you got to write them down. If you don't yeah. write them down, you'll never remember. And it could be the smallest of wins. Just, hey, I looked outside and noticed the sun for the first time in, in a week, right? I haven't, or, you know, a hummingbird came and I, and I took a second to, 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 to look at that hummingbird, right? I posted a picture of one of our hummingbirds just a few days ago on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. I mean, these are the little things that make such a big difference, but we were so focused. We got to write down what we have accomplished, the little things and the big things, not just the big things. And then at the end of the week, sit with your family, you know, dinner time, and just recognize on how great your week went. went. Even if you don't feel it went great, find the things that have been accomplished and, and, you, and you feel good about. So I have- w- One little thing must have gone well in like your week. Something always goes um, well. It's, life is yeah. never one or the other. It's never. Yeah. So it, it's, yeah, absolutely. So I have one final question regarding burnout and stress, and that is parental burnout. In the workforce, it's- prevalent, I think, these days. And it has been described as an exhaustion syndrome, characterized by feeling physically and mentally overwhelmed. And by being a parent and having to juggle or even give up a career, that's a big deal. And so Mm -hmm. I know that in recent generations, couples are opting not to have children in lieu of their careers, which is kind of terrible for our species. (laughs) It's not a good thing if we don't have kids. But those who do go that route might f- and have children, right? Might face some intense pressures and potentially a loss of identity if they have to give up their careers for a period of time. So, can you enlighten us on what you know about this topic and what can parents do to alleviate the burnout and all the symptoms that we spoke about earlier when we discussed depression and and, and stress? Well, again, it's about knowing yourself, but you brought up something that I'm going to take an aside. You said some people have a loss of identity if they have to give up their career. Mm-hmm. Our career is not totally who we are. True. Who we are is how we are in our mm-hmm. career and yep. what truly makes us happy. And so whether you're a tap dancer or a chef or a ditch digger, if you can find happiness, that's who, that's your identity. But um, even though I'm, I'm also guilty of worrying about my identity, but it's something I try to remember. Uh, in terms of um, helping parents in particular not burn out, it's knowing yourself, 
again, trying to carve time out in your day. But I'll tell you a story that happened to me, which was after my son was born, I was exhausted. The kid never slept. He didn't sleep for three long years. And I had to, now thankfully I was self-employed, so I didn't have to go to a job. I think if I had had to go to a job, I would have had to call them and say, I can't get there till 10, I'm exhausted. I'm always exhausted. But what I did do is I learned some self-care tricks for myself. Number one, he woke up at six in the morning and I said to my husband, this isn't working for me. I need to rest. I'm going a little crazy. So one thing I did was recognize what I needed. And I said, either you're going to take him out from six to eight, or you're going to hire somebody to take him out from six to eight. I don't care where they go. (laughs) I'm kidding, of course. I said, they can go to Starbucks, or they can go to a park, or they can do what they want. I'm being facetious, but please take them out. And so And my husband used to love, I mean, still does love to get up early. And at that time he had a bagel business. So he was getting up early. So he would greet the nanny and he would get the baby ready. Off they would go from six to eight. The other thing I did because I worked from home was sometimes I hired high school or college girls to come over and they'd be in one room and I'd be in another. So I was there not having to leave the baby, but yet being able to focus on my work. So it's really knowing yourself. To take it one step further, if you're so exhausted emotionally and you're that burned out, then you need to get, you might need medical help. Somebody told me I needed to go on antidepressants. Thankfully, I figured out. So you have a right to confront a doctor. A lot of people believe that whatever whatever the doctor says goes and I would never confront my doctor. That's not true. Not everybody's perfect, and doctors are only as educated as the patients that they've had in front of them. So it's okay to confront them and say, you know, I don't think antidepressants are the way to go. I think we might need to take a look at my hormones. Let's test my thyroid. I mean, I knew my mother had thyroid issues her whole life, so I thought to myself, well, Maybe I inherited some thyroid issues. Why don't we test my thyroid? It's not an expensive test. And sure enough, I needed some thyroid medicine. And so taking control of your own life is really, really important and doing what you need to do for yourself. Wow, that's so wise. And, and, and I, I hope that those parents who are listening that have, if they feel like they lost their identity through work, probably should reassess what that identity looks like and if they should have an identity through work, right? Because I do agree, it's, it's, it's your life. It's not who you are. It's part of your journey. But more importantly, yes, get the attention that you need and take the time. Sometimes it's a sabbatical. Sometimes it's you know just a leave of abstinence. Whatever it is that you can do, speak with your employer and just let them know that you are not going to be productive by pushing through a burnout. It's not going to help. Burnout needs to be taken care of. You can't push through it. Right. And one other thing I didn't mention, um, one thing that I've learned in my life is that one of my biggest strengths is my relationships with other people. And, And as it turns out, the science backs that up. Social support is one of the key combatants against burnout. And so if you are a mother of young children, make sure you find a group to bond with, maybe through a church or synagogue maybe through a university. There are all these mothers groups in every major city. 
find some mother's groups, have a round robin where you take care of each other's children. The children are happier and you're happier. You need a break. And it's okay to say, I don't want to be with my child today. I love my child, but I need a break. I'm going to take my my turn out of this out of the hat and yes. uh, and hand my child off to someone, another parent who's going to love my child because they love their child. And then I'll take over for them when they need a day off. And so find some other uh, groups to bond with. It's really, and then they know what you're going through. They know exactly that. how you feel and what you're going through. And that's true for any problem in life. Try to find a support group or a mastermind. I, I love that, a parental burnout support group. And those parents who cannot find it, why don't you email me? And if enough parents email me, I'll get you guys together and you can create your own support group. That would be awesome if that could happen. So let's switch topics. EQ has been flying around for a bit now, and EQ stands for emotional intelligence. And for me, it's such an interesting topic, especially since I run an organization with people in it. So let's dive in for a bit about what emotional intelligence is. Uh, tell us a little bit about what the meaning is and what you, uh, what you know of it. Well, as you probably know, Daniel Goleman coined the term, I don't remember exactly what year, 10 or 20 years ago. And it has to do with, number one, knowing yourself. The awareness we've been talking about most of this period of time is the beginning of social awareness, uh, emotional awareness. Knowing how you come across to others, how you communicate your tone of voice, your facial expressions, your body language, and the content, the words that come out of your mouth. If you're screaming at your employees, mm -mm. there's something wrong. It's not okay to scream at your employees. Most employees don't know how to, how to confront and push back and say, it's not okay to scream at me. You can be angry, but you can't scream at me. And I've the reason I bring that up is because I've known many people who had screaming bosses. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. Steve Jobs. Happened. Steve Jobs was a genius and was so successful, but not successful as an overall businessman. He was successful he, in exactly what he did, but because he was acting the way he acted, horrible, horrible. He was very arrogant, but but if you take a psychological point of view, I'm guessing if you dig into his past and as it turned out, he was given up for adoption, who yes. knows what his upbringing was that made him the way he was. And I don't know enough yeah. about his childhood, but I'm guessing that's part of it. Um, so that's number two. Number three, Empathy, hmm. putting yourself in the shoes of the other person, yeah. caring when someone says, oh, my great uncle's in the hospital. It looks like he's got COVID. I really want to go to the city where he's living. In and in the, actually, in the early days, you couldn't even go into the hospital, but you could go there to be supportive for the rest of the family, whatever. Or um, I'm caring for my uncle who has no one else and he has he's in uh, some kind of treatment program he's over 80 he has to move in with us and i have to care for him how about being empathetic oh i understand how stressful that is why don't we cut your hours why don't we try to do what we can so that you can work and help your uncle whatever it is um number four finding your motivation for your work from within your intrinsic motivation most people, and I think this relates to what you opened with about the great resignation, after you make 150 or 180 or 200,000 dollars, 
except for those of us who live in California, <laughs> how much money do you need? I'm being facetious. That's gas money, by the way. I just want As you to know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, gas is what, five something a gallon now? $7 Our in gas? California. My gas prices, it was double to fill up my gas tank last week. But anyway, um, knowing, finding your motivation, and I kind of alluded to this a little earlier and when I said your work is not your identity, what is your intrinsic motivation motivation for your work? How do you feel about yourself and your work at the end of the day? Do you exercise just because somebody told you you should? Or do you relish the good feelings you have from the happiness chemicals that are released after you exercise? And then the, pr- the pride that you feel and the patting yourself on the back after you have a completion. All of that is part of intrinsic motivation. And people are not just motivated by money. Yes, they need a certain amount of money, but the employees today are looking for value and to have their values aligned with the company. So if they work for a company that is toxic to the environment or that's harmful to people, they they might start there because they're desperate for a job, but they're not going to stay that long. Mm. So now that we found out the characteristics of EQ, how important is it to hire? So I'm speaking right now to entrepreneurs, founders, those that are that are building their teams, uh, even you know mid-sized companies. How important is it to hire for it, or is it the most important at that top level at the, in the leadership team? It's more important for first of all, I think EQ can be taught. It's a skill. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people like you and me are inherently emotionally intelligent, but a lot of people aren't. I think a lot of engineers, computer scientists, and people who are extremely analytical sometimes forget, or they were raised by people like themselves who were very emotionally cut off for some for whatever reason. It could be psychological or it could be a number of things. So um, it's very important that managers and leaders have an emotional intelligence and then helping the more junior people develop it if they don't have it. Yeah. And I mean, I think you, you made some great points about EQ. So for those who still, after everything you said, don't think that EQ is a skill set worth developing, are there any studies on the success rate of those who are and who are not emotionally intelligent in the workforce? Is there a correlation between someone that's really successful and someone that's not in business, whether they are EQ intelligent or not? Uh, yes. I don't have the stats off the top of my head, but yes, there there certainly is. So there is a correlation. Yeah. yeah. And then you have your, obviously your Elon Musk's and your, you know, Bezos and, 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 and Steve Jobs, which completely take that study upside down. But, but yeah, for the most part, I've seen it too. Success, like we talked about earlier, how do you measure success? Yes, those are examples of success, but um, Bezos is divorced. So how successful is his personal life? What is success? You got to ask yourself, what is success? And what will make you happy at the end of the day? At the end of your life, and somebody else uh, described this situation, one of my friends in the wellness world, I think, but I don't remember who, so I can't uh, attribute it right now. But at the end of your life, when you look back, what are you going to regret? Are you going to regret that you didn't make another million dollars? Or are you going to regret that you didn't spend enough time with your family? What are you going to regret? That is the perfect way to end the Seven Hats <laughs> interview. So my final segment, I like to close my interviews with the following question. Who did you have to stop 
being and who did you need to become to manifest your current success? I had to stop. That's such a deep, deep, interesting question. I had to stop being somebody who was so demanding and so critical, basically the role modeling of my mother, again, who I love very much, but I love to complain about her. The complainer, the negative person who got really, really, really angry every time someone looked at me cross-eyed and not letting it go and complaining and complaining for a week. Oh my God, you won't believe what this person said or what this person did. And to open my mind up to the fact that everyone's on this earth doing the best they can. Yes, there are rude, mean, horrible people out there, but I can choose to surround myself with um, more of a happiness bubble and let those people go. If they're that unhappy and miserable, if possible, get rid of them. I don't mean kill them, but get rid of them from your life and only surround yourself with the people that love and support you. And if somebody is that demanding in your life, they're not meant to be in your life. And so I had to stop being the kind of person that was always, oh, woe is me, the self-pity. I had to learn to care about other people more than myself and to be willing to donate my time to care for other people because that's another source of true happiness, of course. And I had to be the kind of person that doesn't overreact and bl- and histrionically blow everything out of proportion all the time and learn how to, yes, I have emotional reactions. We're human beings, but now I've learned to say, how big a deal is this? Does this require a histrionic or not? Most of the time, the answer is no, it doesn't require, if if no one's in the hospital, it's not that big a deal. One of my you know? favorite responses to that question, I just want you to know, out of all the episodes, one of my favorite, you know, Wayne Dyer, the late Wayne Dyer, if you don't know him, look him up, yes. said one day, there are those who wake up in the morning looking to be offended. And that is, yes. I think, a disease that this society has that we need to address. Yes. It's not all about you. That's the, that's the big thing. Wow, that's interesting that you think that. Wow, that's so interesting that that's a disease. People are looking to be offended. I'm going to think about that. Yeah, I I think I'll think about it too now that I said it. It was off the cuff. But let's tell all the seven headers out there, Janice, what you're currently up to and how they can connect with you. Okay, what I'm currently up to. So I've been working on my banished burnout, mental health, so to speak, for me and my clients now for several years. And what's been... uh, What's been becoming more and more apparent, like I sort of opened with, is that the companies need to learn how to get rid of their burnout zone. I call it creating a banished burnout zone culture for their business. And that's what I'm focused on more is helping companies realize maybe we're creating the burnout. Maybe it's not the employees. Maybe it's us. So telling employees they need to learn how to meditate and eat healthy, maybe that's not it. Maybe we need to look at ourselves first and then and create a happier environment. And then people won't be quitting because they'll be so happy to come to work here. And this all stems from your book. So tell us about your book and where they can get the book. The book is JaniceLitvin.com slash book. You can get an editable PDF version right there on the website, or you can find it on Amazon or any of the booksellers that you like to go to. 
And if they don't have it, they can uh, order it because I am affiliated with a distributor. Fantastic. And I will put everything in the show notes, all the links. And I'm hoping, especially during this time, that anyone that's going through burnout, anyone that needs the tools and the tips to get through it, connect with you, read your book, and send you an email with some feedback from this interview. Janice, it was such a pleasure to have you on the show. I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. I had a blast and I just love you. So thank you again. Thank you. And Chag Pesach Sameach, for those who don't know, means happy Passover. Happy happy Passover. For those of you who celebrate Easter. There we go. Exactly. (laughs) I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Janice. Let's end today with a segment of the show that I refer to as What Can We Hang Our Hat On? And here's my takeaway. I've been an entrepreneur and in the corporate world for over 25 years. I've seen burnout, both in others and myself for sure. However, I believe that the severity of this problem has increased dramatically over the past decade, especially as the pandemic started taking its ugly toll on our society. Since becoming an entrepreneur and leading large teams, I was much more attuned to this problem in the workplace. I always imagined that people like Elon Musk or the Steve Jobs types got burned out because of their insane work ethic. But I understood quickly that it's not just a high-wired entrepreneur that gets burnt out. It's the team. And for the most part, the managers have a lot to do with their team's mental health and condition. If the culture isn't spot on, you may be experiencing stress and burnout in your team without even noticing. The best leaders are empathetic and have a sense of awareness so that they can catch these problems before they tear your business apart. Janice reminds us that social support is one of the biggest combatants against burnout. So make sure that you and your team have the means to join a social group or speak with someone to get help and support. See, one of the incredible benefits that Midday Square's founder, Jay Carlson, speaks about in my interview with him is that they hired a full-time therapist for the entire company to get the support that they needed as they build their incredible enterprise. As they say, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. I want to thank Janice once again for joining me so that we can all benefit from her wisdom. And until next time, if you found this episode helpful, please hit that subscribe button and tell other entrepreneurs out there what value you receive from it so we can attract even more high quality people into our Seven Hats community. So for now, I will bid you farewell and success on your journey. And until next time, my name is Yuval Selleck, and I tip my hat to you. <laughs>